Hit it. Ooh. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favourite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is Alien Covenant. So just a heads up. If you haven't seen Alien Covenant or you haven't seen Prometheus even, uh, we will be speaking about the films with spoilers in mind. So Lloyd, uh, Ridley Scott, we mentioned at the end of the last podcast we did, which was Wonder Woman, Ridley Scott had to give up Blade Runner, the sequel, it was Blade Runner 2049, isn't it, to uh, do this one? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I feel like Alien Covenant is something that he felt that was really dear to him to give up doing a sequel to Blade Runner, one of the most greatest um, uh, science fiction films of all time. And, uh, you know, and his return to the Alien franchise was really, really important to fans of Alien. And he's taking it into completely different directions. You know, both you and I loved Prometheus. And don't get me wrong, I think there were uh, there were a lot of stupid moments in Prometheus that made my eyes roll. But Ridley Scott coming back to science fiction and doing an Alien movie, uh, it, it was amazing. You guys should definitely go back and check out that podcast. Uh, I think we were very enthusiastic talking about because you you obviously you're a big fan of Lost and one of the writers of Lost was uh, writing uh, Prometheus and we just had it, it raised so many questions that we just talked about endlessly and the whole internet went crazy over it it was really interesting and it wasn't like any of the other alien movies at all it brought us in this completely different train of thought compared to the other alien uh, films and ask some really interesting questions and ultimately let's not forget how bad the alien series was getting like i loved alien 3 but that stop motion alien i don't know how much you remember of that dave with the stop motion alien and all that it it was directed by david fincher but i thought it was a terrible terrible choice and i hated alien resurrection oh my gosh what a piece of shit film (laughs) that was oh man and i'm i'm not even going to get into the alien vs predator movies i saw the first one and I, i thought it was so forgettable so to have the grandmaster filmmaker who gave us blade runner as i said and uh um alien come back to the alien universe and give us this really solid science fiction it was amazing and to hear he's doing another sequel i'm just uh, we're so spoiled dave as i say over and over again in our our podcast just this age we're living in we're just getting awesome stuff left and right and you know um after the martian really scott did the martian it's just great to see comedy that he he's very comp- competent in doing comedy. I thought he did a great job with Matt Damon there. And you kind of see it seeping into Alien Covenant with the casting of um, Danny McBride, which I thought was a really interesting choice. He does yeah. get, get, get some moments of comedic, you know, um, tones and, of course, heavy dramatic tones, which I thought he handled really well. From Prometheus, my strongest memory of uh, our podcast was the fact that Guy Pearce's character was in old age makeup and this film, Alien Covenant, at least solved that problem for me by giving us a flashback with Guy Pearce right at the beginning of the film. Because I felt a bit like 
that made no sense. I kept waiting in uh, Prometheus for his character to age back down to, you know, about 40 years old. Because he, I was like, why wouldn't you just cast an older man? You know, that was my major frustration with Prometheus was it was such a strange casting decision. And, and I felt like, yeah. But here, first film, uh, first uh, scene of the film, rather, we, we get that Guy Pierce flashback in the creation of David, played by Michael Fassbender. And I was happy to go along for the ride, you know. Um, he's very obsessed with creation, this David. And he's such an interesting character that ultimately, and I mean, I don't mean to jump straight to the end, but ultimately I knew that he wouldn't be left behind. Oh, gosh, Th that ending, uh, we'll get into it, but I saw that coming a mile away and the whole yeah, audience same. saw that coming a mile away. Uh, I can't believe, like, and this is written by John Logan, who's a very good screenwriter, although Spectre, oh, the last 20 minutes of Spectre, what the <laughs> hell was that? Um, and I feel like, uh, you, you know, Alien Covenant is very, very solid, but the last 20 minutes of this film, I just feel like it wasn't even directed by Ridley Scott. He just, you know, the movie Ridley Scott wanted to make was a movie about two robots discussing the meaning of life. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. I've, I felt a lot like they decided the final scene of the film where uh, the you know, she goes back into hypersleep and then he wanders off free to do what he wants with a colony of people. And I felt like they kind of reverse engineered it from there. I felt like they knew where they wanted it to end. And then they said, right, how do we do this? <laughs> I, I just hope, because really, Scott, I, I, was, I said in our podcast for Prometheus, I was really worried that he was going to start something and then just get bored and walk away and do something else and leave it to other directors to do. And yeah. it, it was just going to get worse and worse. I'm a straight to video quality. So when I heard Alien Covenant was directed by him, uh, I was so happy. And just hearing a lot of interviews he seems to be really enthusiastic about this franchise and where it's headed, and he really can't wait to do another one. What I'm getting mixed reports about is we're one movie away from Alien. So is it a case Prometheus, Alien Covenant, or whatever the third movie is, and then it gets into Alien, so it's a trilogy prior to Alien? But then I hear another report that he's actually doing a prequel to Alien Covenant, which, oh, gosh. Uh, oh, stepping backwards again. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah, I can't confirm that, though, but that just confuses me even more. Um, yeah, I don't know how much story there's worth to tell. Like In between me, Prometheus I, and yeah. uh, Alien Covenant. Well, I mean, we know the story now. We know where David ends up. We know where, you know, uh, Elizabeth Shore ends up. And we kind of, we don't need that story. This one... Covenant did a good enough job explaining it, didn't it? The question and answers that Prometheus gives us is humans were created by a superior alien race dubbed the Engineers, right? And for some reason, the planet where they find the Engineers is being used to build a weapon to presumably destroy us. And at the end of the film, the main character, Elizabeth Shaw, goes off with the bodiless David, so just the head of David, to find out why these engineers created us and want to kill us. In Alien Covenant, it shows that Elizabeth has been killed and David has wiped out seemingly all the life forms of this engineer planet. And the question it raises, and it doesn't answer at all, is why did David kill Elizabeth and why did he use the biological weapons to kill the engineers? Uh, I think Alien Covenant, it has divided critics. Uh, fans of Prometheus 
hate how much of the themes from Prometheus are just simply discarded. And fans of the Alien movies think the characters are just too poor compared to Ripley and, you know, and all the other characters in the Aliens movies. And your average movie-going audience, if they haven't seen Prometheus, they're really going to struggle. Like my friend, when I saw this with, uh, shout out to Andrew, Samantha, and my brother Josh, uh, my friend who I saw this with thought the prologue with um, David was Walter. Mm. Yeah, he, he didn't understand that. Oh, the guy on the planet is David from Prometheus. He didn't even put two and two together. So, you know, it's a really challenging film for a lot of movie-going audiences. And I, I, Alien Covenant actually has a really simple plot, and it's it's really about a small expedition team wind up in a mad scientist's castle during a hellish stormy night and all the horrors of the scientist's laboratory are unleashed upon them. And it's a really, really simple horror film, but it has a strong philosophical layer and I think that's what Ridley Scott wanted to explore. I I get the whole, you know, not picking that it was David sort of thing. They do name him in that opening scene, but then you've got enough time to kind of forget about it and that opening scene, you know, doesn't necessarily connect with much in Alien Covenant. It's more for the fans of Prometheus to get them in the door for this. Um, you know, going back and seeing Guy Pierce's character. I felt like the relationships between the crew members, so many of them were married or in relationships with each other, that I know that was supposed to make it more emotional when their partner died. But for me, I, I kept thinking, like, realistically... What are the odds that the central crew are all in a relationship with another person or that the husband and wife and everybody are, like, together like that? Well, I think they the, the company did that on purpose. Like, whatever this colony ship is, everyone is paired off. Um, so, I don't know, it, uh, it must be a strategy to strengthen the relationship of the crew to make sure they all work together as strong as possible uh, rather than Maybe. have... Yeah. I kind of... I, I looked at it and I kind of thought that wouldn't maybe some of them be in a relationship with somebody who hadn't been woken up, you know? Uh, realistically, I kept thinking there's so many people who are still frozen and colonies or whatever. The crew is 15, the cargo is 2,000 colonists, and then there are embryos, um, over 1,000 embryos. So those 2,000 colonists, I kept thinking, well, surely one of them would be like, you know, <laughs> somebody's husband or whatever, just who hadn't been woken up. But to sort of make it just the crew, I kept having problems with that. When they're woken up early, one pod bursts into flames. Initially, I'm like, well, we don't know this guy. We don't care about this guy. But of course, it's one of their husbands or partners. And it's James Franco. <laughs> He's in bloody everything. And I feel like <laughs> maybe we've over we've seen too much of Franco. Maybe he needs to take a breather. Yeah, I think Ridley Scott knew that and he kept him out of the film as much as possible. <laughs> now, did you watch these pre-films, short films? I did, and I, I don't understand if this is a marketing strategy or they the, some guy found all these um, scenes in the cutting room floor, if that's a term people understand now, um, <laughs> and then went, oh, hey, this is a great idea for marketing or if it was a, a pre-conceived strategy to leak uh, or to make these scenes that aren't even part of the movie um, to get people into the into the door. I think it's an absolute disservice to the film because the most famous one is the Last Supper scene. It's called The Last Supper and it just shows them 
before they all go to sleep. They have this last round of drinks and last meal and you really get to know them. It just helps strengthen all these people and it would have been very effective to have seen that and then see what ha- because you you do see um you do see the captain uh, uh having a drink and everything like that and then for him to burn up in the in the opening scene of this movie would have been heaps more effective because yeah. Uh, yeah you you just went oh that's who franco is you know and and everything like that and i don't know a lot of people are using that as defense in this movie oh you didn't see the um you didn't see uh, the last supper but that's really unfair to you know let audience to force audiences to watch these scenes to enhance their viewing like the, yeah. it makes it those explanation uh helpful explanation things if you can't explain the film to us during that 90 minutes or 200 minutes whatever it is um you know that's a problem is it working though like is this strategy working i'd i'd, I'd be curious to see the numbers certainly not for critics but is this new marketing campaign i don't know if it's new but is it actually getting people interested and in going to watch the movie i personally find it frustrating to have seen these lost scenes and go oh well that would have been better in the movie and there's some action scenes in these short trailers uh short film like trainers trailers that don't happen at all in like what what was characterized in the movie like there's a scene of her like um screaming out to mother how close is how close is the alien? And then the ship goes uh, four meters above you, and she points the gun four meters above, you and you see the alien about to come down. That's not at all in the movie, so I, I'm not quite sure what the strategy is here. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see any of these explanation films, and it sounds like they would have been worth leaving in. Also, I don't know how much uh, was overshot from Prometheus. And put into this film. Yeah, like that's, that that's a really scene, good point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because they've got deleted scenes from that as well. Like, to assist in this making more sense, they could easily have used footage from Prometheus as well. You brought up a good point. Uh, I didn't get to discuss this in the uh, Prometheus podcast, obviously, because we had just literally walked out of the movies and did the podcast. But on the Blu-ray special edition of Prometheus, it is packed with special features, probably one of the best Blu-ray releases ever. And in it, there are so many Easter eggs. There's a whole talk of Wayland, the young, uh, with a, a young um, a guy, Pierce, playing Wayland, talking about the evolution of the android. You know, and that's like, that goes on for like 10 minutes. You know, it's a whole speech. And there's little short films of android as if it's, a, of um, Michael Fassbender, David, or as if they're, this company is producing him and you can purchase this model. So it's like a commercial for David. Um, in it, and th- there's these cut scenes that have been put. Obviously, all these scenes have been put in on YouTube, but there are these cut scenes which show more of the engineer. And I like what you said. You're not sure what was left over from Alien, um, from Prometheus, that were used in the marketing of this film or in um, Alien Covenant itself, because we do see in these um, marketing films Elizabeth Shaw and what happens during that flight from wherever that weaponry planet to the engineer's home planet. Um, she goes to sleep and then David learns more about the engineer culture. I don't think that was in the film at all. And yet it's in the short film, you know, so it's, it's, I don't know. They're, they're, I think they're building the mythology very well. I just don't like this strategy of, um, you know, bits and pieces on the internet here and there. Do you think if somebody watched the Alien franchise or even just this new trilogy in 20 or 30 years, 
that they would watch those supplemental things. No. Probably no, not at all. Probably what will happen in the future is, you know, there'll be some kind of streaming, you know, whether it's to your phone or your, you know, in front of you or whatever it is. They'll stream it and they'll only stream the film. So you need the strength of the film to answer as many sort of questions and, and use all the best material you have. I absolutely hate in Rogue One when the trailer had all these shots that were never in the film. If that's the same case here, that's disappointing. You know, yeah, to hear about the it's just above you scene where she talks to mother is unfortunate, you know. It seems like they have too much if they can fill Blu-rays with um, <laughs> so many sort of extra things. But super fans are going to love that right now. I just think it's not going to work over time. Yeah, that's right. I, th- I think they've um, hurt the mythology of this film a lot for movie-going audiences, but at the same time, it has really amplified the fans of Alien as they're going searching for these Easter eggs and things like that. And um, uh, this isn't spoilers, but Alien is in the same universe as Blade Runner. And I've, I've listened to the audio commentary of Prometheus quite a few times, and there's lots of um, really Scott loves his little Easter eggs. Oh, look, I'm not going to tell you any more, but such and such is uh, this and such and such is that. And I'm, I'm like, I know what you're alluding to, mate. <laughs> oh, I see. It's like one of those um, Samuel L. Jackson plays... Uh, this character in Django, and he's the ancestor of his character in Pulp Fiction kind of thing. <laughs> one of the girls in the film, Tracy, was like one of the friends in La La Land, and that was her only other IMDb credit. Yeah, which one was she? Was she, the, the so two... she was on the ship with Danny McBride, okay. uh, Tracy. Yeah. Yeah. The strength of La La Land, how well it was received, got her this role. Because she barely spoke in that. She was one of the friends in La La Land who... She reminds you of Kirsten Stewart for some reason. Yeah, a little bit. Kristen, <laughs> Kristen Stewart, Kristen I think it Stewart, is. Yeah. sorry, yeah. I found it interesting that they decided to take this risk and go to this unknown planet when... I mean, no one wants to go back in the pods, is how Billy Crudup, the captain, explains it. But, you know, really no time is passing when you're in the pods. Yeah, I think his uh, fear was that the danger of this could happen again and seeing the captain being incinerated has really discouraged them going into hypersleep and the idea that, oh, there's a livable planet just uh, 10 days away, let's let's just check it out. It's only a week off our journey. But uh, I, I don't know, like if, if Franco was alive, James Franco's a character, there's no way they would have um, gone off course just for this obscure message but uh, I think the idea was seeing the incinerated Franco really told them, no, we, sh- we should definitely try it out. <laughs> well, yeah, what I don't mess- understand with these films, right, you got an awesome android, a super powerful android, uh, Walter. Why not send him as your away team all the time? Like, yeah. go, so is it okay down there? Oh, no, there seems to be this chemical that seems to be going the way. It might be dangerous for anything that meaty. <laughs> well, I mean, Peter Wayland was like a billionaire or whatever. And if people can hear the rain, it's just raining at the moment here. Uh, Peter Whalen was like a billionaire or whatever. So wouldn't he have sent multiple Walters and Davids on each ship? Why just send one? I know. I, I thought about this myself. It's a common strategy in all alien movies to always have one synthetic. <laughs> I prefer the term synthetic. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's from Bishop from Aliens. But one synthetic in every single team. And he's like, the as uh, Ridley Scott calls it, the butler, the guy that manages the ship, makes sure they're all fine during hypersleep and stuff like that. And there, there is that 
technophobic attitude where they might be there might be something sinister they might be programmed by somebody high upstairs to do something not nice you know this this all came from the template of alien and they've kept that that strategy all throughout the whole alien franchise so i guess it's kind of tradition but yeah the practicality of it i would just have a whole army of these guys but maybe it's the expense that it's well, too mean, expensive yeah, maybe. to have um two would have been helpful though yeah. but you could always send like you say, send Walter down to the Earth's surface or the planet's surface with one other human, you know, and then he can collect samples and you can see if said human comes back and, you know, absolutely right. Yeah, and they, they weren't wearing any spacesuits as well, which is a common complaint. Like, why aren't they all wearing spacesuits, you know, to, to protect themselves? Yeah, you've got to read out of the atmosphere, but there could be some sort of disease or virus that you're not prepared for. You know, I, I wouldn't be taking off my helmet at all. <laughs> Uh, um, Prometheus just got us in a complete, got us away from the traditional alien sort of train of thought. While still, I feel being an alien movie, I, I do think Ridley Scott did enough to to classify it definitely as an alien movie. But I like it how he's he's trying to explore other areas, which is Sonic Prometheus doesn't get enough credit for. Alien Covenant is definitely a return to the horror factor from the original Alien, which um, Ridley Scott was one of the the main authors for. I love the scene when the team initially finds um, the ship and they're going through everything and a couple of people get infected and one girl tries to, you know, bring the soldier back to the ship. I, I The only choreograph I hated in that is why wouldn't the other girl let her out of that room? She's covered in blood anyway, so if she's worried about infection, I, I know it's the idea that stress is getting to her and she doesn't know what she's doing. The soldier, the alien pops out of the soldier's back, not out of the chest. Oh my gosh, that body horror element, the music, the way how it's cutting from the ship with Danny McBride going what's going on what's happening and he can't hear it through the distortion and then you got the other away team with one of their guys infected trying to make their way back to the ship that was so tense the only thing I didn't like about it the alien just looked really silly like how they're fighting this little creature I would step on that thing the moment it came out of that soldier's back my foot would have gone right down but I do like it how it's not it's comedic but it's also really tragic how they slip on the blood as well and that's something you directors wouldn't normally dare do like that's that's an actual factor if you're in a room like that and blood's everywhere it's going to be slippery and you know you can argue oh you know that's it's a bit silly it took away from the film but i i went with it completely absolutely right about the horror elements and the you know quarantine where she says let me the fuck out I knew as soon as that guy went to take a leak that he was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to separate from you guys on a weird planet. And there's so spores in the air. You know, that's like I imagine a germaphobe's worst nightmare. And it just brings you back to that contagion film, uh, Stephen Soderbergh's. Basically, where the alien spawns out of his back was shocking. And just, you know, as you say, the sort of body uh, crunch, the... The comms breaking up was a little annoying for me after a while, but the way that little alien smashes its way out of the quarantine bay, you know, he's headbutting the glass and stuff before the ship explodes. I thought it was a great little action sequence and it gets yeah, you, no, gets you yeah, in. It was, it was awesome. That music build up as well. Oh my gosh, it stays with you. You're just gripping the seat as well, tearing it to pieces. <laughs> mm. Did you think the Elizabeth Shaw dog tags were very conveniently placed? Because when I saw them, I was like, what is this? And obviously, you know, sort of later that David killed her or whatever. And, uh, you know, he's maybe placed the dog tags there, I guess. 
let's jump into this massive giveaway for me, which is where David cuts his hair. Why cut his hair? Why show us cutting his hair? Uh, unless he's going to swap places. Oh, right. So you spotted it from there. Yeah, I wrote down, okay, well. <laughs> why did we need to see him cutting his hair? And then I wrote, unless he's going to swap with Walter. And then that's all I could think about. For the, every scene they were together, I was like, is this the scene they'll be swapping places in? <laughs> when will it happen, you know? Well, I, I want to get right into David, because this is really the, the true horror villain um, of this piece. He is mad, <laughs> and I don't mean to simplify it, but from what I can gather from uh, this movie, he did these things simply because he could, as he says, idle hands of the devil's workshop. So the story of Alien becomes reduced to a mad scientist, and I hate Freudian an an analogies, but it's evident here part of David's nature is forged because Daddy didn't love him enough. And yes, it's shallow, it's a really shallow concept by John Logan um, to have that in this film. But in my opinion, having Alien Covenant as a mad scientist horror movie was a fantastic idea. And David is an android who is beyond our understanding of morality. He tries to kiss Walter, tries, oh, well, he does kiss Walter, I should say, tries to kiss Daniels, and then he asks, am I doing it right? <laughs> um, he is pursuing something that we would see as very sinister. He quotes from John Milton's Paradise Lost, and he has engineered life itself and he is trying to build the perfect organism and destroy his creators for some reason we, we just don't really comprehend and I, I i found this interesting that to create and to destroy is to do what god does and i'm quoting here from manhunter which um uh, hannibal lecter says if one does what god does enough times one will become as God is. And I think these deep themes are too much for audiences or simply audiences aren't interested in this. It's it's too strange and really ungraspable. Like we can't really comprehend a character like David and why is he doing the things he's doing. He's just beyond our level of understanding. And I think Ridley Scott knows this and hopes by throwing in an alien showdown for the last 20, 30 minutes of the film will appeal to audiences. But that's a big idea and theme that he wanted to explore. Absolutely. And um, he gets asked multiple times about what he believes in and he says creation that scene where Walter can't create music and he has to teach him a simple tune on the flute. I didn't know about the line, watch me, I'll do the fingering. It sounded very sexual. For <laughs> Everyone a... <laughs> laughed in my cinema like a 14-year-old kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think when David kisses Walter, some people uh, who like Michael Fassbender, that's, uh, you know, that's a good scene for them. <laughs> like the way Walter speaks of Daniel's, and the way he sacrifices his hand for Daniel's. David loved Elizabeth Shaw and he explains love over duty. He has a whole different wavelength. He's a different version, a different upgrade, a different model than than Walter is. Or he's an I earlier. love that line. We've had there's been some upgrades. That was yes. so cool. Yes, that was great. But yeah, the uh, the way he's an amateur zoologist, as he explains, trying to keep busy, I mean you've got to think he's basically immortal. He's sitting around in this world at some point. You know, it's a bit like Groundhog Day. You're going to sort of try stuff and, and push the boundaries of what's around you because, 
Yeah, and that, in this way, because he can create these, he makes his successes, as he calls it. And what did you think of getting that alien launched out of an egg at Billy Crudup? <laughs> Why did he stick his head in there? <laughs> I mean, he's not a smart captain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I thought Crudup was the most interesting character outside of Daniels and uh, maybe uh, Danny McBride, but it just they just... Really, Scott just doesn't have these follow through on a lot of these characters he introduced, unless they just all made the cutting room floor. And John Logan did write these really deep characters, but they're just not given enough screen time. And it's clear um, from Ridley Scott's entire career, he's not really interested in in the other characters, uh, except for the movie The Martian, where I felt all the space crew and the NASA team were all given these great moments and great, uh, you know, great time. But, you know, just uh, it's just something that he, I don't think, is very good at handling. Like in Aliens by James Cameron, which is my favourite of the Aliens in, in the whole series, almost every character in the Marines are given small moments and we really feel their loss, like with Sergeant Apon, Hudson, Vasquez, Gorman. When they die, you really feel it. Here, Ridley Scott's disinterest in, in, in these things takes away the effectiveness of the alien kills. Like a couple of the Marines in the Covenant die and you don't really care for them at all. Like they, they tried an interesting element where a lot of the crew members are married, as you said, but I, I was uh, losing... And, and you, when one of them dies, you see the other partner react, but I was losing who was married to who. Or not like, react that- even. He was like, uh, you know, confirmed or check. He was like understood or whatever generic thing Danny McBride says. Like, sometimes it was even they were playing down the emotion. And I think it does stem from his disinterest, like you said. Yeah, like in in those characters. Because obviously David, that's what he wants to get to. Like, even the character Catherine Waterson plays Daniels, who's a very interesting character. She isn't given the the, the best amount of time. It's obvious um, Ridley Scott wants to get to, to Walter and David as fast as possible and spend as much time with them. And he bookends and- the film with David as well. So you know that that's what he wants to talk about. And with how he's treated Elizabeth Shaw, who was like the coolest character in Prometheus, and for her to just die, you know, in, in this, it's just like, oh, man, so what's going to happen to Daniels? Is that is that just not another forgettable Next character? Film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't have a Ripley, a thread going. Like, in Prometheus, we're following the villain. I think it would, uh, which is, of course, um, David, but I think it would have been good if the thread was um, Shaw somehow and, and, and just something good to cling on to you know there there was a pretty marine girl so it wasn't it, it, i think it was upworth not rosenthal rosenthal was the up the one up in the um ship with uh, mcbride but anyway whichever one's which um she conveniently leaves to have a shower and of course dies getting her head ripped off and i wish they they put a little bit more choreography into a death, just put up a little bit of a fight because Vasquez in Aliens, for instance, goes out with a blaze of glory and I wish she just reached for a gun, had a, got off a couple of shots, but just having her de- decapitated was so boring and it, it, the faith-driven um, captain who, who takes out the alien, he wasn't really a soldier. He was like a captain, you know, and just little things like that really bug me. Um, and his disinterest in these characters really hurt it. And when uh, Crudup or Graham does go in and gets the um, uh, the face hugger onto him, I, I didn't really 
get anything emotion out of it because the only thing I knew about him was that he saw the devil when he was really young. <laughs> I mean, honestly, most of the kills just felt fairly like just moving the plot forward. When you introduce a crew of 15, most of them are going to get killed off. <laughs> Unless you give more Last Supper scenes to, for, so we can give a shit about these guys. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it, he's, basically that's a deleted scene from this film. So he's decided to cut down the parts where you give a shit about the characters, which is unfortunate. And I find David to be quite fascinating as a character. That's great, but uh, I need him to play off someone. And Walter wasn't strong enough. Like, uh, he's a more generic robot version. If you had another synthetic... And, I don't know, female, let's make her female. And she was wholly good and, like, trying to stop David or something. Maybe there would be some, I don't know, more chemistry and more interest. But the fact that all these humans can be wiped out by aliens and that he just feels as if he's moving pieces around a chessboard... uh, Yeah, well... it's a mad scientist story or a King Kong story. This team land on this weird island or this weird haunted house and they're all getting bumped off one by one. But the reason why King Kong's so effective is because you get a lot of backstory of these these main characters. So you're screaming when they're all, like, fighting for their lives. I didn't care about anyone in this movie. Like, Crudup have, should have been the most interesting character. You know how he's really hardcore and mean and, and then he has that small moment where he apologises to Daniel saying, you were right, I, I shouldn't have come here, put us all in danger, have killed the whole crew. Expand on that, man. Like, he, he's a man of faith as a scientist. He could go in all these theological discussions. And then he has a showdown with David. Oh, this is getting interesting. And David's um, talking about the evolution of of the pathogen that he's creating. And we get that whole um, flashback to him killing all the engineers for whatever reason. And then he dies. You know, the face hugger gets onto him like, oh, man, Ridley, slow down. Let us just build up some of these characters before you kill them off. You know, I kind of thought as um, they were releasing that truck and kind of getting that last alien life form that was on the ship and they kind of shoot it out into space and, and everything, it cuts to Walter and he doesn't look happy or relieved or whatever. They don't really have a kind of reaction for it. It's obviously not Walter, it's David at that point. But I kind of thought at that point, even if the truck and, like, space and everyone had been sucked out of the ship, you could have kind of ended it there. Oh, sorry, that that battle at the end of the ship where Daniels crushes the alien with a metal arm and then that awful 20 minutes, what you're referring to, on the Covenant... Um, I found was so boring and by the numbers. It wouldn't surprise me at all if if that was all shot by a second unit and Ridley Scott had nothing to do with it. Like, it was just like, yeah, you guys know what to do. I'll, I'll be in my trailer, you know, sort of thing. And I, I can't believe, Dave, we have another alien movie where the alien gets shot out into space. I can't believe it. From Ridley Scott, we have Alien 1, where the alien's blown out of the airlock. Aliens by James Cameron, aliens blown out of the airlock. Alien 3, um, killed by lava. Thank goodness, something different. Alien Resurrection, the alien is blown out of, like she cracks that window and that the, the that weird human slash alien um, it gets sucked out into the window. Oh my gosh, I'm losing my shit. And now we got it on Alien Covenant. I, I, I honestly think Ridley Scott was just going by the numbers there. Oh yeah. 
you, I know you guys um, weren't happy with what I did in Prometheus, so just to keep you guys happy, the fan service, here's, here's a whole Alien showdown for the last 20 minutes. It was directed with no enthusiasm, no imagination, and he just went by the numbers. And, my, uh, and R- Ridley Scott is a grandmaster filmmaker. He knew exactly what he was doing, and I felt it all throughout the, the last 20 minutes of this film. I, I felt that his presence wasn't even there. If James Cameron came back to Terminator and made the next Terminator, that would put butts in the seats, right? Because they'd be back to the roots of the original and fix all the problems, and we've talked about Genesis before on this podcast. Well, his, I was about to say his credibility is kind of ruined because of that marketing campaign where he talks up how good Genesis, Genesis is, was. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I actually played that a uh, fragment of that in our podcast of Terminator Genesis. Oh, that's one of our best episodes. We'd hate that film, by oh, the way. It's so complicated. <laughs> anyway, um, so if Ridley Scott, who obviously is part of getting butts in the seats, you know, he's endorsing this film. If, say, the next one in this trilogy, let's just call it Alien Space. Um, if he's not on board for Alien Space, uh, are you seeing the next film? If so, the sequel to Alien Covenant, if he hands it off to somebody? Yep. Well, there's rumours he might give it to Blomkamp, the same director of District 9, who I have absolutely no faith in. I think he's almost as bad as Gareth Edwards, who did um, Rogue One. Like, all these directors who are so promising, but uh, after their pet project, they don't have, you know, anything left in the tank. Um, I I would probably tune out. I, I would have huge doubts. Like, I... Still like Alien Covenant. My only issue is the last 20 minutes. I loved Prometheus and there were some stupid moments in that film such as (laughs) Charlie's Theron not running sideways. You know, just just really stupid moments. But I still enjoyed them and I I hold them up really high in the Alien um, series. Um, So I really hope that Ridley Scott sticks to it and sees it through at least... Till it begins in Alien, just so I can have that closure of Prometheus, Alien Covenant, whatever the next one is, and um, Alien. I, I, that would make me so happy. And he's only one film away for me from that uh, for for that to happen. See, I think he won't do the next one. I feel like the next thing he might shoot will be like. Um, Remember Tony Scott uh, was on board to do Top Gun 2? Now they're going to make Top Gun 2 with Tom Cruise. And I feel like maybe Ridley Scott will go do that or, you know, go produce that. And, uh, you know, I feel like he's going to spread himself a bit more thin and then somebody else will make the next Alien and he will produce. I just feel like this... I mean, this wasn't a success, I'll say. This had a $111 million budget in some reports. Some, some people are saying $97 million, but, I mean, you can't be sure. Alien Covenant had made 60-something million. So, whereas Prometheus had a bigger cast and felt like they had money to cast people, Charlize Theron and, and co., this felt like, you know, they couldn't get James Franco for more than a scene <laughs> and Billy <laughs> Crudup and, like, you know... Um, the girl from La La Land, who obviously is cheap, she's done one other film and, you know, you can get everybody on a budget. I feel like the next film will be watered down even more because this one wasn't successful. 
even if it's telling the story he wants to tell, it's not going to have as big a budget. It's not going to make as much money. My biggest fear is Aliens comes down to what it was before it goes full circle and becomes an alien versus predator kind of route. And we get these terrible movies like Alien Resurrection or Alien versus Predator, and they're not given the full authority that some authority that someone like Ridley Scott would bring to the project. Uh, that's my biggest fear. I really hope he doesn't. I, I, I'm looking at his IMDb now and he's got Battle of Britain announced and he's currently filming All the Money in the World, which I think stars Kevin Spacey, about a kidnapping or something like that. I remember him saying in an interview. But uh, he also said in that interview he really, really wants to do the next Alien. So I don't know. Um, in between Prometheus, he did The Counselor, Exodus, the Martian, and then goes to Alien Covenant. He's currently 79 years old. He's making films like a 21-year-old on fire. He's outpacing everyone. (laughs) You know, he's got so much vitality and endless ocean of creativity. So I have no doubt about his ability. And he looks fantastic for his age as well. He's very comprehensive. His mind is working a million miles an hour. Physically, he looks fantastic, like just in shape, moving around the whole set. So I have a lot of faith in him. I just want him to complete this trilogy now. So we got that. We get that box set from Prometheus all the way to Alien. I don't know if Ridley Scott considers James Cameron's work Aliens as canon. If um, the next Blade Runner that's due out this year, Blade Runner 2049, is a big success, makes a ton of money, and they want Ridley Scott to direct the sequel to that... Why wouldn't he choose that over the sequel to Alien Covenant? Well, why wouldn't he choose really um, Blade Runner 2, though? Yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Well, I guess he thought this was going to be something it wasn't. Or, I mean, this wasn't received as well as it could have been. I've got high hopes for Blade Runner 2049. I think it looks great. Yeah, here I had so many questions. Like, you know, at the very end when she's getting in her sleep pod and she says what do you think it'll be like and he says if we are kind it will be a kind world then she says david and we we find out it's him if she suspected it might be david why didn't she confront him before with that suspicion or do you reckon her statement about the lo- about the cabin was a ploy to see who she was, who he was? Yeah, trying to suss him out. But I, I don't think it was. I, th- I think she just uh, honestly said it and then went, "Oh, wait a minute." I- but he said he would help. So what was the giveaway? Well, no, the giveaway was he looked blankly at her when she said the cabin because he didn't understand what the reference was. Oh, whereas okay. she, yeah, that, that's he what looks it was, blank right? a lot. So, <laughs> well, it's funny because Michael Fassbender, I thought he did an incredible job with this. Almost 90% of the American reviewers think he's so overrated and they, the main complaint was his accent was horrible. Now, as an Australian, I just <laughs> anyway, I, I just don't have an ear for accents at all. To me, he's amazing, but to Americans, they were like, oh my gosh, he is terrible. That, that American accent is the worst. But I don't know. I, I can't hear it. To me, Michael Fassbender is one of the best actors you can get. He does seem like an A-list actor to me as well, so... People can come and argue that on our Facebook with us. (laughs) Dave, what is the perfect organism? Maybe people can comment below. Like, isn't the airborne virus more effective than the face hugger? Well, it sounds... Isn't that the more effective weapon? Sorry, it sounds like from the way you're talking that Ridley Scott is the perfect organism. (laughs) But I feel like the airborne spores that grow something inside you and incubate incredibly fast are unstoppable as long as you have any orifice to get into. I don't yeah, I don't get why 
like fast uh, um david is going i'm i'm creating the perfect organism wouldn't isn't an egg with a face hugger and then ha- having to get the host so hoping the host can't defend it and then planting the eggs the host is alive for a bit hopefully they can't perform surgery like um elizabeth shaw did in prometheus to get the alien out and and then create an a small little creature that has to grow isn't that crapper than an airborne virus isn't the i don't know maybe he's he's talking about creating the perfect organism like re- actually creating a life form that has its own ecosystem because and it can seems to me on its own yeah exactly exactly because it seems to me the virus is just built to kill any anything with meat that's why David is immune because he's synthetic. Um, the aliens don't care about him. The virus doesn't go to him and so forth. And so that that liquid is just, once it destroys its host, it's over. It's done its job. Whereas what David is creating is an actual life form that, you know, can, you know, is perfect. It's, it's like a, a bug, pretty much a big bug. Well, that's impressive, David. He created a bug. Yeah. Well, I mean... I loved the scene where he regurgitated those alien eggs just quietly. I thought um, that was really like interesting oh, yeah. how he kind of places them there in incubation at the end kind of thing. How did you get past the scanning when we got on this ship? I thought they would all, <laughs> all be cleaned in the airlock area. Why would we scan, why would we scan a robot? <laughs> Just get on the ship. Most of us died. We don't have time. You know when they first arrive on the planet and they're not wearing helmets? I so badly wanted Guy uh, Fleegman's character from uh, Galaxy Quest, who's played by Sam Rock- Rockwell, to go, is that even air? Can you breathe that? <laughs> Shouldn't we test the air first? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave, uh, what's your favourite alien movie? rank from best to worst that is a crazy question man <laughs> well i'll go then i got aliens by james cameron alien by ridley scott this is a tough one for me but i'm going prometheus alien covenant and alien 3 and i'm not counting the others because they're terrible <laughs> um the only reason i put alien 3 at the bottom is because i hated the stop motion um alien uh, i don't understand why don't you just put a guy in a suit him appearing out of smoke and then taking people out it, it's uh, it's been used since the beginning of cinema a smoke monster you got the greatest designed crete a uh, monster in the history of movies by um goya or geiger sorry why not just do that instead they had this terrible stop motion alien and it took me completely out of the movie um and i don't mind it in in the thing because the thing was made during the 80s that was you know a new tech sort of thing or you know they're still bridging the between prosthetics and motion modeling sort of thing but in 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 the 90s when alien 3 was made there was no excuse for stop motion um uh, alien just looks so silly you know, I, I I really liked Prometheus a lot, lot more than Alien Covenant. I guess the message of the film of Alien Covenant is that if you have a mission that will take seven years, you can't cut corners and do it in a couple of weeks. <laughs> and that's kind of true of life as well, you know? You can't always cut corners. If Ridley Scott returns for the next one, I'm sure we'll check it out on this podcast, Lloyd, and we can complete... We've the- done almost every single Ridley Scott film, haven't we? Have we? Uh, like uh, his recent work, sorry. Since <laughs> no, the podcast started, single. probably. Yeah, since the podcast started. Yeah, and we did do um, that Tony Scott retrospective, and um, yeah, we're we're into the work. So yeah, we've done Prometheus, The Counselor, Gods and Kings, The Martian, and Alien Covenant. So the only thing we didn't do was Robin Hood from 2010. I guess we're locked into Ridley Scott, man. <laughs> yeah, I did see Robin Hood. There's probably not that much to talk about. 
No, no, that, that was 2010, just before we started the podcast. Next time on the podcast, listeners, we intend to tackle one of the films that came out just after Alien Covenant. See, it didn't make its box office because afterwards you got films like Wonder Woman, you got Pirates of the Caribbean's next chapter, and you got Baywatch. And all these films, the big summer films of um, 2017 for America, we're going to cover Baywatch, which has been savaged by reviewers, and um, we're going to find out why, or we're going to find out if they're wrong. And that's next week on Pod Me If You Can. You can find uh, obscure movie reviews, which we do regularly on our YouTube channel. All the links to that, our Facebook, our Twitters, it's all at www.podmeifyoucan.com. Thanks for tuning in for Alien Covenant, and we hope to hear from you next week for Baywatch. Hit it. for listening please like us on facebook and follow us on twitter go to www.podmeifyoucan.com pod me if you can movie reviews 